0: Welcome to Elgin Movie Watchers Podcast. And this is a special edition of Elgin Movie Watchers Podcast. One, because Steve Gould isn't with me, and I'll explain in a minute why. And second, because we actually have a woman as a guest. Now, it's not that we've been trying to avoid women. Maybe they've been trying to avoid us. But for whatever, how many of these we've done, this is is the first one uh, that we have a woman. And that woman is Nancy Keller. Nancy Keller is also Steve Gould's wife, and for reasons of fluidity, we decided maybe it was best that Steve wouldn't participate as we, we speak with Nancy, so what we did is we brought in John Abel, who some of you may remember from an earlier episode of Elgin Movie Watchers podcast. Actually, uh, John was the producer of the Movie Watch program back in the day, also known as the boy producer, because he was uh, barely uh, a young man at that point, so uh, John John is here to help me uh, speak with Nancy about her experience on the Movie Watch program. So here is Nancy Keller and John Abel talking about Movie Watch. Welcome, Nancy Keller and John Abel, to be uh, as straightforward as we can. Uh, the three of us recently watched an episode of Movie Watch from uh, 1977 that featured uh, a number of things that Nancy had done on that particular episode, but let's see if we can recount everything that Nancy did. So Nancy was an instant reviewer. Nancy was a movie reviewer. Nancy did interviews with guests. Nancy covered events, including parties and openings. Is there anything that we left out, Nancy? No. That that was quite a lot. And before we got on, John mentioned that he couldn't believe that we did that every week, let alone that we did it even more than once.
1: It's an extraordinary output, especially looking back. But Nancy, you, you, you did do more. You, you, were, you were much more to the team than just the utility infielder, That all of which you did great. I remember that your infectious optimism and happiness and upbeatness was a really big part of the show and of, of the team. We did do the show live. We had taped events. And we had an hour and a very expensive bill to pay for the studio that we used. And there were 15 of us or so and a lot of running around and sort of figuring out what to do. These are very stressful situations and all your mistakes that you make on live TV, everyone sees, they're noticeable. Your ability to always be happy and positive really made it possible in the control room and everywhere else before doing and after the show for us to keep our heads level, or at least for me, to keep my head level. So I don't know whether I would add, you know, den mother or spiritual leader or Dalai Lama or something to your list of achievements. But to me, as good as you were in front of the camera sitting on a couch uh, with a prepared thing or at an event where the person is not going to say more than two words and you have five minutes to fill, those are all fantastic skills, but behind the scenes, you were a big part of holding it all together, in, in my humble opinion.
2: Mayor, see, When I was in college, I spent three years working at the TV station, and I ran TV
0: cameras, which I didn't do on movie watch. That was one thing I never did. Oh, you were in front of the camera. So does anything uh, stand out in your mind, any memory that... Uh, when I look special? at that
2: interview with about hot tomorrows. I'm like shocked. Those people all did very well after that. And that was like their first really big time on TV.
0: Yep. They had uh, real careers. And uh, they
2: really did. Won awards, even Academy Awards. The
0: strange thing with Martin breast is the fact that he had done a student film. This was his first film. He went on to do some of the biggest Hollywood films and then it all went away.
2: Apparently it was because of Gigli. And I did read that it had been taken over and redone and it was considered one of the worst movies ever but i'm not so sure that it was because of him but because of what happened after his input
0: well again in a sense it doesn't matter if you're associated with something like that because it was many people you know referred to it as like the worst film ever made or whatever and you know the horrible script and two big stars who were you know terrible but again looking back at the initial interview that you did when he was talking about the experience of dealing with critics watching your film and then having to read about people saying things about your name and whatever and maybe he never was able to adjust to that because uh, you know, uh, there have been p- people who've made some pretty terrible films and still managed to c- continue on. But I-, I was really unable to find uh, anything uh, about him whatsoever. And uh, it's, it's really unfortunate. Well, you know, he
2: did Beverly Hills Cop, which was really yes. good. But he also did uh, Send of a Woman and won Academy Awards for that.
0: Yeah, he had about, uh, you know, five or six major films that were successful. And then the Gili, and then boom, he was done. But uh, again, that's also something about, you know, being able to look through the stuff that we did, uh, you know, 40-something years ago and understand Maybe we that should ask real- him. Ask who?
2: Uh, ask Bress why he stopped making films, because he was really quite good. I thought he was very... Um, Concise and intellectual when I was interviewing him. He seemed very together.
1: Yeah. Ever the reporter. You're, you're, you're still the interview still isn't over as far as Nancy is concerned. Well. And it might be interesting, and I'm sure it would be for you to follow up on an interview that you started 40 years ago. But and we we had plenty of famous people on the show, people that were famous at the time, people that had been famous decades earlier, people that would become famous. But my favorite piece from the one that we all saw together not as a viewing party, but at least in the last week, was the interview you did with Richard Benner. A super, super interesting interview. It was more than 50 minutes of fame for him. And I was just looking up the, the dates. So Outrageous, his big movie, the one that you interviewed him about, was came out seven years after The Boys in the Band. So there wasn't a lot of LGBTQ stuff in, in going on openly in, in Hollywood. So it was pretty breakthrough. And it was four years before polyester. So John Waters huge, still making money, can't be filmed. And here was this guy, you you and he are sitting on a couch. I don't know where, his apartment? or His apartment. And, you know, you're all smoking cigarettes because we all smoked cigarettes in the 70s, even if we didn't smoke cigarettes. And he's talking about his difficulties making this movie. And not a hint of it was, I can't make movie about people like me it was really really remarkable um and one of the things that i noticed or i think that i noticed because i am occasionally in the interview people business is your ability and this is extraordinarily difficult for a broadcaster to simply listen you allowed potential silence to work to your benefit and everyone you talked to said so much more than they might have and got so comfortable talking because you allowed them and weren't jumping in and, and trying to sort of make jokes um, and top them and things like that. That's very hard to do. That, that's you know skill and humility. So as wonderful as the Martin Brest you know, interviews are and the John Simons and Robert Altman's, it's those, the, the, these amazing filmmakers who sadly in, in Venner's case died young, along with the star of the movie, who probably never did a better interview or had better press than that, even though it was a big hit and con.
2: You know that um, Craig Russell is that his name? The yes, the star of Outrageous. Yeah. Yep. He and um, Benner died in the same year.
1: I know. I just looked that up. It was horribly sad, and they were forty or thirty-nine or something.
2: Yeah, they were they were fairly young.
1: Yeah. So I mean, who knows what the output would have been? To your point, Chuck. Hey, we were. If we had stuck with this for 50 years, we, we might have actually amounted to, to something, um, which is true. There are some, some interesting analogs. There, there was a, a company that used to launch satellites into space, and they went out of business just before that became a thing that you could do. And there are many private companies, including Elon Musk, that do that now. Iridium, who, which made the, the satellite phone. They went out of, almost went out of business. They, they put transponders in trucks now. Really great ideas that are way too early for their time. And when I was a guest on this show a few months ago, we were talking about how many things that this show invented, including the things that, that Nancy did. We, on this show, we, we went to Cinema 1 and 2, which were, are, I don't even know, super classy art houses uh, across the street from the Plaza Hotel, which is across the street from Central Park, to give people an idea of just how classy they are for a charity event um for a Lillian Hellman film and you know you're there you're talking to people you're talking to the the CEO you're talking to stars you're talking to the NGO people and we cut away because Paul Simon and his then girlfriend Shelly Duvall walk in I mean who gets that who does who gets to do that
2: definitely had access to a lot of things I think because we were the only ones on air doing that.
0: Yep. There was nobody uh, around that was doing that. And because we, in a sense, didn't provide a service, and you know, John will know about this, I mean, people from the uh, uh, film companies and the PR firms and whatever, this is a good place that they could place somebody where it would you know, appear that they were doing something. And the fact, you know, the Automation House studio and the way it was presented and the fact that it was on live added to it, but also let's talk about going to do the instant reviews. That was, again, something that was definitely a a movie watch uh, idea to, you know, talk to people. Going into the film, why they were going in and then getting them afterwards to find out what their response was, it was amazing. You certainly had to be prepared to uh, deal with whatever or whoever you you came upon.
1: Nancy was on chuck the famous new york city blackout instant review shoot and um you know i'm not going to relive that that nightmare again um we we, will include in the notes the podcast where we talk about this at length and you can hear us weeping part of the story was we talked our way into the cbs broadcast center and um i was joking on that show that this was so pre 9-11 we, we four or five bedraggled people with a camera which clearly was a cardboard box with a light bulb and it walk in and say we have some film for the, for the cbs news and it's hey, sure come on in yeah no problem and it, it was only because i think nancy was there i mean it, it wasn't me who looking like an iranian terrorist and it wasn't anybody else in that crew nancy got us in th- that night and kept us there when we had absolutely nothing to show Ask what and, i did for that well, the public doesn't need to know, but thank you. I Thank you very much.
2: Very kind of you. I didn't remember everything about that. It was kind of a blur.
1: You were instrumental in not only getting us into there to embarrass ourselves for an eternity, but also keeping our spirits up. You were that entire night that you, we were all on adrenaline and it was like it, it turned into a very sort of sad evening for us because our equipment didn't work. That's what she said. But you were there keeping our spirits up. And that's a huge part of this line of work.
2: Too bad that could have been a really big deal for movie watch, I think. It's, sorry that that didn't. Yes,
0: that was another one of those things that that could have uh, or, or, or should have been. But we went to a lot of openings, got to see movies and interview people. Any Anybody else uh, stick out in your mind of uh, people that you interviewed? You remember when Sylvia Miles decided that Steve was
2: somebody named Gary, and she started complaining to him and yelling at him that he (laughs) left her high and dry and never picked her up for something when.
1: (laughs) That worked out too. I guess guess, Nancy, we have you to thank for it. I remember that show. Poor Chuck was interviewing her, and she would not stop talking. And Chuck was doing everything. He was waving his hands. We had crew coming out and saying the show is ending. I remember she was still answering her question as we absolutely went to credits, and there was nothing. I think we could that do happened
2: to me with um, what was her name, Sylvia Sydney? Yeah, Sylvia. Sylvia. Sydney. Well, I I'm confusing her them. Stop.
1: You're right. I'm sorry, Sylvia Sydney, not Sylvia Miles. That was right. my sorry. screw up. Yeah, we had no, problems with all Sylvia. Screw it wasn't a screw up. It was like, this means, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, the, the stop, the, this, this means stop talking. And she just would not stop talking.
2: She was so interesting. And she was also famous for her needlepoint books.
1: Well, that's another thing. One of the reasons that we probably couldn't do the show anymore. And maybe one of the reasons that Saturday Night Live started being funny starting in the eighties was everything became a tie-in to Chuck's point. We would get people that PR people couldn't get on the tonight show there was like three shows to be on maybe two and the only one that mattered was was carson but to chuck's point you had to show something so are you going to get a line in from liz smith are you going to get something i don't know if page six was around yet hey you know what i can get you booked on movie watch you haven't heard of movie watch it's really cool and they really love movies and you can go crazy so there was a lot of this sort of the 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 economy. Of getting people on and they were promoting their latest thing but they weren't only doing that we didn't it was it was almost like letterman you, you would go on letterman people that were being they were promoting their movie or something and letterman almost wouldn't let you talk about it and it was great nobody wanted to talk about what they were there to sell so i wonder if we could do that now i wonder if you could have just a pure show of love about a subject matter without it having to be i need 45 seconds and a clip and a a title card a lobby card for my movie wow
2: i I think because we would have longer interviews that frequently you got to see actually, I think a better personality, because now they clip things so much, you get little blurbs or certain catchphrases that they've been told, you know, a a celebrity may have been told to say, but we get them to talk and talk. And I think you got a much more real idea of the people than you
0: do nowadays. It was beyond them just, you know, promoing whatever the... uh, the film or whatever they were pushing the book or whatever I mean there'd be a little of that but then the fact that we could get into discussing things and whatever and even uh, taking phone calls which was always
1: <laughs> we did that before Donny. before you Chuck before Donahue another trendsetter yeah it was amazing
0: you know and it so we'll be able to you know look and, and see some of these the stuff that we have and, and assess it as we go because there you know there's varying degrees of value but uh, you you can't uh, create an interview with uh, people now who, uh, who aren't with us anymore but we have it in the can as they say.
2: So. I was really sort of thrilled um, that with the Hot Tomorrows that Ken Lerner and Ray Sharkey that they talked so much about really what it was like filming this sort of thing it wasn't just oh you show up and you do your lines it was like well we were living on baby ruth candy bars and Uh, it was a real interesting insight into honest to god filming instead of just the usual surface stuff that you get
0: i think when you said it sounds like you had a lot of fun doing
2: it no it wasn't fun they did say it wasn't all fun
0: (laughs) yeah well it's you know you know, amazing that, uh, well, Brest could go on and, uh, and have the success he did. And they had long careers in film and TV. So it's, it's just, uh, it
1: was something. So Nancy, you were sort of a, I don't want to say, you were a recruit. You were indentured. That's the word I'm looking for. You were indentured into movie yes. watching. By, yes, by virtue of your uh, incomprehensible affection and love for Steve Gould. Um, um. so there was no there was no way for you to avoid uh, service to the queen that's a joke for Steve but you were a very natural sort of on-air person you had a, a way with performers so was performance in your in your background are you a performer now tell it tell us
2: no you know I, I spent 10 years on the road I did broadway shows and
1: i did not know that please tell us more
2: but it's a long time anyway so no i was always and so i was never intimidated because i'd worked with stars when i'd been on the stage myself
1: well that sounds very interesting nancy like who and when and originally when steve was talking to
2: me about this show i said well you know i ran tv cameras and he said, well, we, you know, musical things. We thought maybe you could like review musical things. And I said, oh, sure. And porn. Yeah. No, I originally st- just, I sang for years here in New York, believe it or not, with Leonard Bernstein and things. And then I discovered I could make oh, more Lenny? money.
1: Oh, Lenny, you sang with Lenny,
2: did you? Yes, I did at Philharmonic Hall, yeah. And, and Leopold Stokowski. Yes. So I'm I did sorry. that for years. And then I started auditioning for theater. And my first job was, I was in the black company of Hello Dog. Did you work with Garrett Morris? Not too- no, no. I was with Pearl Bailey and Cab Calloway.
1: Oh, geez. Well, pardon me. Not
0: quite Garrett was- Morris, but uh, they were no. Yeah, they were They were okay too. I mean, Nancy had a, a real comfort in, in being a performer and also relating to performers. And that also, whatever was, you know, because she's doing live TV or out in the streets or doing stuff, she was quite capable of uh, handling whatever may come up, you know. I mean, that was, uh, she wasn't going to get thrown, you know, something that she uh,
1: brought to the movie watch. Yeah. And, and you, you like, I said, like I was saying, you, you can't improvise that composure. Um, and so it, it feels as though that your ability to, um just keep everybody in a sort of happy positive place when things were not going well in front of or behind the cameras it is a gift that you brought from your tough life on the road
2: spent like five years on the road that's why she so was I, well
1: prepared I, for movie
2: one thing i really enjoyed when i got to review movies was that i felt like i could write my own material
0: yeah, That's if certain. you're in a
2: show you don't write you, you know right. you're usually saying somebody else's line so i enjoyed that yeah
0: the, the, the film film reviewers, as we're talking, any interviews that come to mind? People that you spoke with? That uh...
2: I remember one person that I was trying to interview. I shan't name this man, who really tried to intimidate me,
0: and did you could be...
2: And no, I'm not going to name him. <laughs> but it suddenly it took me a minute before I, I realized that what he was doing, and I stopped back and said, finally said, you know exactly what I'm saying. What do you think? And then he was okay, but he was very aggressive before that. And that was at a, a an opening for something. Yeah, was
1: uh... was that David Warner? No, it was. It could have been David Warner, though, right? Perhaps. Did you do the David Warner interview? Who did the, Who did the David Warner? Interview? I don't remember. I wouldn't say he was intimidating, but he was quite on brand.
2: You know who so... else we did was that the guy who did? Oh, I think he directed. I kept saying to him, "Have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone." What was it? Was that Gypsy? Did he? direct was the director no we did a thing roller coaster or
1: something what was your work cadence chuck kind of knew what he would have to do and deb kind of knew what she would have to do and jim uh halsey missing in action jim halsey knew what he had to do the the director sorry jim not jim halsey kim halsey kim halsey sorry yes well um, two out of three letters ain't bad so kim halsey i just said that to piss him off so he'd come out of the woodwork Uh, Kim Halsey knew what he had to do he was the director did you sort of have a life of your own and then on Sunday Steve would say hey we need you to go to Albany and talk to this person and um, here's bus fare I'm not sure we can give you a camera so take a tape recorder was that was that your relationship with the show or was it more pretty much professional yeah. oh, okay
0: you think so Chuck? you know again when we talked about earlier the idea of doing these one a week for an hour and how much you know work went into accomplishing what needed to be accomplished and also the fact that things would come up people wouldn't appear we have to worry about having you know guests if we were doing something live or we would find out at the last minute that someone we thought we were gonna be able to have in the studio. We couldn't have in the studio. We had to go to a hotel and interview them and get that on on, on video. So it's, it was- uh, I remember, you know, I,
2: yeah, I had to go to a hotel for Sandra Locke. Remember the uh, yeah. Sandra Locke thing? It was a fairly short one and she had a handler that was uh, very, uh, uh, would interject things
0: frequently. Yeah, it was always uh, an, an experience. Uh, and you know people not quite knowing you know how to relate to us and each time was uh, w- w- was different who we you know, were talking to and live in the studio and uh, was you know very different than doing an interview you know on some on a location or whatever but somehow he managed to, uh, you know, fit it all together and do one every week. There was that, that a lady was-
2: that lived across the street from me who was on a lot of Broadway shows and a lot of Woody Allen movies. And she also, I think she, she was part of, I don't remember who did it but part of an episode about being an extra in the movies. You remember that one? Yeah. It was really because she just lived across the street from me. And I knew her from walking the dog that she came, you know, came on and became part of it uh, at least once.
0: Whoever we could get to discuss whatever aspect or element of having to do with, uh, you know, making movies, exhibiting movies, distributing movies. If we could get someone who had something to talk about. Because it was a lot to cover, a lot to fill. And we couldn't have Andrew Mikowski you know, do the whole show.
1: Well, Andrew thought he could do the whole show. So yeah. not quite right about that. Andrew Cobb probably could have done 60 minutes. fifty eight well, minutes very, on Andrew and two on movies.
2: Andrew was very good. I yeah. found that he, I think he tended to get very starstruck. I don't know if you ever noticed if he was around stars, he seemed to be a little more like, you know, right. a fan. Well, yeah, so, he, so
1: that's an interesting point. Nancy so um you say that as if there's something wrong with that is is, is so you're, you're
2: gonna interview people
1: well is it though isn't isn't that also a technique oh my god you're so fantastic tell me how fantastic you are well you should hear what I did last week so I mean what was it is that uh, no oh, well, that didn't serve Look, us well so so and Andrew was just face and hands Drooling at the prospect of being in a room with a famous person. Is that, is that what we're saying? Well,
3: not
2: that much, but he seemed to get a little um, verklempt around people who were famous.
0: And that wasn't really his responsibility because he was doing Cinema City, which right. you know suited him well, and uh, you know he could handle. If it was, I know, thought he was great. At- oh yeah, I, I I think we're just we're just coming into his time now. Yeah. I
1: think Andrew could could be a very big star now if he was right. And again, this is we're, we're we're talking with Nancy, but on that same show, John Yurko did fantastic work. He did the uh, film festival uh, reviews uh-huh. on that particular show. Nancy, you did a hit right after him. You were you were sitting in a chair right opposite him, and you did your review. And I'm sitting there, and this is when, and I said this to Chuck before we we started taping. This is when I said to Chuck, "I can't believe we did this more than once." Forget about it. Every week, more than once, I can't believe the how much we packed, how much you packed, you on-air people packed into one show every week. It's just remarkable. So, sure. So I was making a joke that Steve says, "Hey, get up! You have to go to Albany on the Bolt Bus and and take your tape recorder." But you wrote what I think was a three or four minute review, and I forgive me, I don't remember the name of the movie. Because I was just so wrapped with the writing. When did you have time to do that? When did you do that? I wasn't working full time. Okay. So still, you have a life and game shows and soap operas. I know I I do.
2: I I continued to do some writing after that uh, for, uh, what was that, for a magazine? For the film Journal.
0: Yeah, somehow uh, our work on on Movie Watch uh, became, uh, it was serious stuff to us, and we we ended up, you know, putting in a lot of time. As uh, John said, that's why it took him so long to graduate from college.
1: I'm not sure I actually have, but.
0: But you were doing a lot of, you were doing a lot of work on on Movie Watch, not just at the studio in the production of it, but in preparation for it, people were writing things, lining things up, making sure that we, you know, got to interviews, got guests, uh, recorded stuff, the instant reviews. I mean, it was, it was a,
1: it was a lot of extraordinary work. amount. No wonder work. I don't remember it very well. Cause it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot of work and we were doing it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we were doing it for at least part of it at the same time the Elgin was, uh, was running, right? That's correct. Okay. So, so that was Herculean to be to doing to be doing both of these things and also allegedly attending college
0: yeah, or whatever else, or having jobs or whatever else we were you know now, I, I worked st- at the elgin year.
1: chuck remember i know i didn't get my last check but i was an employee of yours
0: and you were also the uh, producer uh, of movie watch how old you were you were nine
1: years old at that time right yeah. oh i felt like i was nine years old as as, I, as I've told you. But
2: Were you the one that contacted everybody from Hot Tomorrows to get them on?
1: I have no idea. Uh, I don't remember. Um, I did a lot of booking. You know, I've told the story before that Chuck heard me on the phone in the office at the Elgin talking to HBO about something and and said, you know what? You're a you're phone guy. Work the phones. And so I worked the phones. So probably, although a lot of it, as you both know, a lot of this was it's a very small community of public relations people. Um, still, we worked with a subset of that. Um, they were all very good, but not necessarily you know, the biggest shops in town, but a lot of boutique shops. And so I had like three or four uh, contacts that I worked with, and they kept us in in good supply. And we took the people that they wanted to impress that they could get somebody in front of a camera and and then occasionally we'd bank enough for them for us to say, hey, can you help us get, uh, you know, so-and-so who's, you know, unavailable, probably unavailable to a piece of slime operation uh, like ours. So it wasn't as if I was cold calling um, thousands of people. It really was a very small group of people, um, many of whom I, uh, as I do, um, pissed off in one way or another and had to make terrible amends or good amends too.
2: Were you responsible for getting Liz Smith on?
1: Again, I don't know. I, I Probably. I, it was on that same show. And again, I'm looking at this show that we, we watched. It's amazing how much how much we got in. And I know that we tried <laughs> to get Liz Smith for quite some time. And she, uh, Chuck, you probably know better than I, because you actually did speak to her and yeah. I probably just spoke to her people. She was not a diva. She, she was quite polite and Southern and and accessible and easy to speak to the issue if there was any issue at all it was simply a matter of finding time in her hectic schedule of writing 800 words she was upset when she arrived because
0: she assumed that it was a radio show so she wasn't happy with how she dressed because she thought she was going to be on the radio so that was we had to like smooth that over and kind of like you know get beyond it with her a little bit because she just assumed that it was a radio show and then she showed up in a tv studio and she wasn't she didn't feel she would have dressed better but once we got into the discussion and the interview and whatever she was she was fine you know, I think it's like Nancy said you know as it, whatever they thought they were coming to the fact that we had a certain amount of time and got into depth or talked about things, they enjoyed that aspect of
1: it. Yeah, just ask Sylvia Sidney. We don't ever tell people to stop talking.
2: I think we had some problems. And I, I she seemed to be um, more comfortable around somebody who had been in theater. Because I forget, there was some problem before, and she didn't really want to do it. But I went to meet her at her house. And then she decided to come on. So, and she was very sweet. Very sweet lady. That was Sylvia Sidney, not Sylvia Meyer.
1: Right. So let me let me get this straight. You're you're on the road for five years or so. You're in the all black cast of Hello Dolly. You you know, you and Cab and Pearl go out drinking and you decide to just knock on Sylvia Sidney's door and she opens up and are are you the magnificent Mrs. Mazel? I mean, who who are you? I mean, I worked with other movie stars, so I wasn't strange to me. Well, and you weren't strange to them. And again, that gets back to my point of putting people at their ease. So not only did you have the gumption to say to invite yourself to tea with Sylvia Sidney, you get in the door and that makes all the difference. She suddenly trusts this crazy band of hippies because Nancy shows up and and says it'll be fine. She was very
2: nice. Very nice. She lived in Gramercy, if I remember.
1: I think
0: collectively as we do this and talk about it we'll even start remembering more about you know what took place and 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 some of the people we did and some of the instances that uh, we came I'm
2: surprised up with. that um, that the um movie outrageous hasn't had more play now it, it seems like it would be it was a forerunner at the time but it seems like it should be something that the gay community would find very interesting now
1: outrageous the Benner oh yeah Benner. yeah well i know that again it, it was it was it was way ahead of its time and you know i think just john waters kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room um with with polyester but you're absolutely right you know, that's a that's a super good point
2: but polyester and john waters things it's more comical and outrageous was I think more serious uh, look at that, the gay community
1: yes yeah it was much closer to boys in the band than, than polyester the question is who's who's the audience for that but your and your answer is the lgbtq plus community why why hasn't that become more of a of a iconic cultural cult
2: hit is in the band is I, I think a lot more that has a lot more unpleasantness in it than that than this (laughs) movie and yeah and i mean that's just it it's like it seems like such a in a sense a wholesome look at things
1: yeah i mean it was real character studies of what we would what some people might call alternate people but not ostentatiously it was very sort of here are people here's who they happen to be these are the things that are concerning them and not like a huge spotlight and light saying you know super gay super gay super gay None of it. so you're right I, I, it's, it's funny that it hasn't been rediscovered
2: you know we haven't said anything I thought one of the most interesting things that Robert Bress had to say was about using Orson Welles do you remember that Martin Bress Martin Brest, yes. He he said, you know, I don't know who got him, Orson yeah. Welles, who just was a, a, a voice on the radio. And he said, I, um, I gave him the script. And, of course, I was so intimidated, I told him if he didn't like things to make whatever changes he wanted, I wish he would have just read the script. I mean, I think that's a fascinating thing about Orson Welles.
1: Why didn't we get Orson Welles? He was still alive. I don't know. He's dead. No.
2: In fact, that's he- the famous line from Hot Tomorrows
1: is, they're dead, you know. No, no, I know he's dead now, but he was—he was alive when we were on. He was the air. alive. I don't remember ever it ever coming up. Let's get Orson Welles. I think we
0: we may have tried around something, uh, uh, vaguely in my mind. Hey, listen, it was amazing that we got to some of the people we got.
2: What was that Woody Allen movie that we we got a bunch of the people? The one about the the blacklisting the writers. What was that called? The Front. That's it.
1: The front no. yeah remember again, i we mean didn't, we didn't we didn't get zero we should have gotten zero for the front we didn't get zero
2: no we did interview i remember somebody not me interviewed what was it Mar, uh, marcovici andrea marcovici who was one of the leads
1: yeah we got andrea marcovici who went into being a singer in nightclubs in new york but would have been nice to get zero mostel not if you knew what i've heard even better well, wait a minute what have you heard well, she's on mute conveniently Nancy's on mute yeah, well, she, she decided, the beans.
0: she decided at that point that that's when she would go mute.
1: Well we don't want to bury we, we come here not to bury zero yeah, I think this is a good time
0: thank uh, Nancy Keller for speaking with us about uh, her experiences of movie watch and what she added to it. And John Abel uh, helping us uh, capture some of the elements of what movie watch was and who the people were and how he managed to do it. Still amazed that we've uh, done it. Remind people that there's a new episode of Elgin movie watches podcast each week. And you can uh, find them where you get uh, podcasts. And uh, hey, this has been great. I really appreciate the the both of you joining uh, tonight to talk about this. And uh, it was uh, uh, great uh, spending the time with you. And we'll have to maybe check out some more. Old movie watch programs to get together and talk about them as well. Okay. All right. Great.
1: great seeing Nancy. Always great talking to you, Chuck. Thanks for. Good inviting. to see you. Okay. Well, thank you.
3: Hey.